Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to the Danny Klinkscale Reasonably Irreverent Podcast. Insightful and witty commentary, probing interviews, and detours from the beaten path. Welcome to Kansas City Profiles presented by Easton Roofing and a fascinating conversation with Landon Lucas. I entitled this particular podcast Renaissance Jayhawk and the title certainly fits. Landon Lucas was born in Japan, lived there for three years while his father played professional basketball and after returning to the United States his parents separated but he would return with his mom as a single mom for his sixth grade year to Japan again in a small town and immersed himself in the Japanese culture. He would do so off and on, even while in the United States as well. That unique upbringing upbringing certainly had an impact on him, but he became a basketball star just like his father was and highly recruited by programs from Oregon to Arizona, but eventually was attracted by the honesty of Bill Self and went to the University of Kansas where step-by-step he made himself from 2014 to 2017 a more integral part of what went on with the Kansas Jayhawks. His final two years were fantastic ones for the team and himself, uh, but tinged with a little bitterness as each ended with elite eight losses. He's continually embraced different challenges from charity work with his own foundation, started even before he left his college status. Most people would start a foundation when they had millions of dollars, but uh, he started it for underprivileged children to attend school and get uh, basketball equipment and the like uh, from that time to this day. Always looking for new challenges, uh, waylaid a bit by injuries as far as professional basketball is concerned. He now has charted a course as a professional poker player and has great success so far doing it. He just looks ahead, sees a challenge, and brings it on. A very interesting conversation with a person with a curious and intelligent mind, a good sense of humor, and he's a fine storyteller. And you'll find that out next in our conversation with Landon Lucas on Kansas City Profiles, presented by Easton Roofing. More of Danny's Reasonably Irreverent podcast after this. Hey, everybody. Joe Spiker, owner of Easton Roofing here. For almost 10 years, we've been a locally owned and operated family business. At Easton, we work on every job with one thing in mind. Integrity matters. I grew up in central Kansas, was raised on the values of respecting hard work. We run our company every day on that value set. At Easton, we always make decisions based on the ethical, right thing for the customer. That's what integrity means to us. So if you have any questions about your roof, give me and my team a call. 913-257-5426. Easton Roofing. Integrity matters. Hey everyone, this is Matt Llewellyn for the 23rd Street Brewery. Thank you so much for supporting local restaurants, especially through this pandemic. And you know what? We're almost through it. At the 23rd Street Brewery, we have brought in a few more tables. You can wear a mask if you want or not. It's your choice. Other than that, we're open 1130 every single day. So come see us at the 23rd Street Brewery in Lawrence. Cinematic Visions has been an affordable solution for professional media production in Kansas City since 2003, offering award-winning video production and creation, as well as a wide array of digital and social media management services. From planning, scripting, filming, editing, and post-production, to delivering your product to a watching world, Cinematic Visions will provide professional and affordable services for you and your business with the necessary return on investment to make it all worthwhile. Cinematic Vision's goal is to unlock the power of storytelling through video and a strong online presence for your company. Beyond the numbers, they want to inspire and evoke your clients to feel and act. Let my friends at Cinematic Visions embed your brand where it belongs, in your customers' minds. You can find them online at cinematicvisions.com or with a quick phone call at 816-600-6300. If you'd like to join these and other great sponsors and market your business to a growing and engaged audience, contact us at danny at dannyclinkscale.com. Look forward to hearing from you. 
Landon, I titled this particular podcast Renaissance Jayhawk, and I certainly think it fits, and your life's journey has been a, a very interesting one. You were born in Japan and lived there for three years at the outset. I imagine you don't remember much about that, do you? <laughs> well, well, I actually uh, went back to Japan. Yes, I know, uh, I know that. I know that part. But uh, the first, yeah. the first three years, I'm, I assume that's just uh, something you hear about in stories, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I see the the pictures uh, and the videos from it, but that's about it. So uh, you you uh, were born in Japan while your father played professional basketball, and then uh, your uh, mother and father came back, and uh, before you would return, they split up. Uh, when what when did your parents split up? Uh, right when I came back, so around like four years old, uh, around that time. So you, your memory is with your mom as a single mom and, you, and your dad involved in your life in a different uh, way. Uh, before you returned to Japan, what was life like in Portland? Well, you know, uh, it was interesting because the whole time I was still going to a, a full uh, Japanese immersion school while I was in Portland. And, um, you know, my mom really wanted me to continue to learn the language, learn the culture, um, and so while I was living in the United States, I was still getting some of that um, education um, and, and uh, Japanese learning and background um, before going back out. What was it about Japanese culture that your mother sound, uh, found so important and something that she wanted to pass along to her son? You know, I think it was a combination between that's just where I ended up growing up the first few years and picked up the language through uh, living there and speaking with my uh, friends. But also, um, you know, they, they um, living out there, you realize that it's it's very good to embrace another culture and, and understand other cultures. And, you know, that experience for a kid is, uh, you know, very valuable. And I think she saw that and uh, wanted me to just get as much of it as I could before, obviously, you know, basketball, high school, um, college, all that took over and I wasn't able to do it anymore. So your mother decides to return and you are about to enter your sixth grade, I believe, and she sells mm -hmm. just about everything. And as a young man of 10 or 11 years old, <laughs> what was your reaction to this whole thing? Well, you know, I um, I was excited at first, um, and then she uh, mentioned that we'd be going to this very, very small town uh, called Fukui, which is right. in South Japan. And um, the only way I could compare it would be like to go to some real traditional uh, part of uh, the United States, maybe down south somewhere, you know, and uh, that was... Um, you know, kind of eye-opening and shocking to me because I was used to being in Tokyo, which is very Americanized, mm -hmm. and um, she didn't want that. She wanted to get the full experience. So um, we definitely got the full experience. There were, uh, you know, a lot of times where, you know, as a, you know, 11-year-old kid, you're uh, questioning things. But, uh, you know, looking back on it, uh, going down to uh, Fukui was definitely a, uh, um, you know, the right decision and something that gained a lot for me. It wasn't exactly luxury living either. No <laughs> central heating, uh, thin walls. Describe your, 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 that day-to-day yeah. -day existence. <laughs> I mean, it, it was, uh, you know, just about as different, uh, as it could get for, you know, what I was used to. And, you know, yeah, we were, uh, <laughs> living in a, a very cold part, um, and the winter was bad and we, there, there was no, uh, central heating and stuff. So we would go to sleep and, uh, f four layers of clothes, beanie, uh, and then we would take turns deciding who got up in the morning to go, you know, turn on all the little like, uh, place heaters and stuff. But, um, you know, I, I think stuff like that in the moment is, uh, is tough, but it's always, uh, you know, something that you can look back on and be like, Oh. You know, that was a, a pretty good uh, experience for me and something that I learned a lot from. When you were going to school again and immersed in the Japanese culture, and I know the headmaster maybe thought your mom was a little crazy as well, but uh, what was <laughs> what was the basketball aspect of it? And, you know, your father obviously was a fine basketball player at, at Oregon and then a professional. Uh, when did you, and I think you, this sort of coincided with the growth spurt too. So how was the Japanese portion of it and your development as a basketball player at this point in time? 
Well, at this point, um, I was actually in the middle of my growth spurt. So I was going through quite a bit of, uh, you know, knee problems and whatnot. Um, but I was really into basketball. I always was from, you know, uh, a young age. So I, um, I, 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 the skills and the, and the basketball mind, um, you know, was there and, you know, going and playing in a small town like that in Japan, um, obviously they were pretty excited to, to have me a part of the team and our team was pretty good. We, um, from coming out of a small town, we did pretty well when we went to like the nationals and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it was an experience in itself and, um, they do things different too. Mm -hmm. We would have all day practices on the weekend where you would show up in the morning, uh, you would pack a lunch and you'd be at the gym until, uh, it was nighttime. Uh, and so there was just stuff like that. I remember from it, but, uh, you know, overall that was around the time where I was really starting to grow, starting to, um, understand that I was probably going to play inside and go from, uh, you know, the YMCA and for fun stuff to, okay, like this is starting to get a little bit more serious. And I knew when I got back to the States, uh, it was something I was going to, you know, hit really hard. How would you say that the benefit of the, that extreme structure benefited you? You know, I would say just um, ex- experiencing it, you know, seeing, uh, you know, going through it and stuff. I mean, once you start, uh, you know, going through things like that at a young age, then, you know, as you get older and go through, um, you know, difficult times or practices or whatever it may be, uh, that's still ingrained in you, you know, and, and um, I could always fall back on, on that. And uh, I remember going, um, you know, in high school, uh, the, the year I spent at Finley Prep, uh, we had a coach that was, you know, really um, strict about our practice schedule and stuff. And, and uh, it seemed tough, but it was nowhere near what I had experienced before. <laughs> so, so that was uh, always something that was nice to kind of just lean back like, hey, I've, I've, I've been, been through this before at a young age and I, I know what to expect and know how to handle it. When you return to the United States and and you have this this mix of cultures that you've been experiencing so greatly, uh, what was what, what what were you like as 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 a kid? <laughs> I guess just to be uh, to put it know, simply, I, I was probably a little uh, one of the little bit of an outcast. Uh, you know, I I didn't create um, create many friendships growing up, mainly because I was traveling so much. Um, and so I remember coming back to middle school. I was, uh, uh, I, at the time, I was a big uh, Oregon fan because my dad had played there, and and I, I had some Oregon uh, like clothes. And I remember I was like kind of known as the kid that just wore my Oregon <laughs> clothes every single day of the week, and I would just wear the same stuff. And you know, kids probably thought I was a little weird, but the, the nice thing about it was with basketball, like uh, it kind of fixed everything, <laughs> and so. Um, that was definitely always something I could, uh, lean back on, but yeah, it was, it was a difficult adjustment going from, you know, traveling, living in all these different countries, experiencing all these different cultures, and then coming back and trying to insert yourself into, uh, you know, sixth, seventh, uh, grade public school. So, um, you know, that, that was definitely uh, difficult, but, um, basketball definitely helped me through that. You also played the piano, and uh, your mom uh, convinced you because Michael Jordan supposedly did it that you would uh, that ballet would be a, a, good, <laughs> yeah, a good, that was, good part of your life. Yeah, yeah, that was early on when I was uh, before I went back to Japan. She uh, she told me Michael Jordan. I don't. I still don't even know if this is true, but she told me <laughs> Michael Jordan uh, used to do ballet for like balance or something. And she told me that one time, and I I went and did a few classes and. It was a little weird, but, uh, you know, it was, uh, I tried it out. I gave it a shot. That just shows how much, uh, as a kid, you know, I was motivated to, to, uh, become, you know, a basketball player, but, uh, but yeah, she, she got me on that one. When you are now entering your teen years and you, you have some aptitude, when did you, you, it sounds like you had a real sense that uh, basketball was going to take you somewhere. Yeah, I think that, um, it was really in um, in high school. I, I think my first my first year in high school, um, I remember having a pretty good uh, coming out of eighth grade, going into high school, going to this Fab Frosh camp that was like a uh, national 
you know, like top 100 type camp. And then when I came back, I played, uh, you know, in some high school open gyms. Um, you know, I was with the varsity team. And then I remember Sean Miller and uh, the Arizona staff, and he was new at Arizona. Uh, they came up for, uh, I think, Terrence Jones, who was down the road, uh, and ended up coming over to see me do uh, open gym and offering me uh, my first scholarship. And so at that point, it really went from, uh, you know, as a kid thinking, okay, maybe this basketball thing could turn into a, a free education. I didn't know what level, you know, maybe it's mm -hmm. Portland State. Uh, you know, I, I was hoping it would be somewhere like Kansas, but I wasn't sure. And then when um, that first offer came in from Arizona, uh, at that point I knew, okay, this is uh, something I need to uh, put a lot of focus in and, and uh, I could do this at a high level. Well, once a program like Arizona shows interest, then even if other programs maybe didn't, they're going to take notice then. So mm -hmm. how did the entire recruiting process uh, go? Because obviously you did not end up going to Arizona. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, pretty hectic. Um, you know, I was fortunate enough to that same year get on a, um, a AAU team that uh, at the time I was playing three or four years up, um, 17 and under, um, group and that team the first year had uh, Avery Bradley and um, wow. it had uh, Abdul Gaddy who was another point guard back in and so they kind of uh, led the team and I could just play my role which uh, you know later on ended up being what, what I did at Kansas too and uh, it, it got me just as much exposure from being on the main AU courts and all that stuff and so between the two of those you know the offer coming in and then that successful uh, summer with um, the AU team, uh, it really started to pick up, especially around the West Coast, the Pac-12 teams, um, and all that. And, and uh, through my junior year, um, it, it got to the point where I was just having my uh, mom and dad, you know, handle most of the phone calls and, and uh, letters and whatnot. And um, it, it definitely got a little bit overwhelming at one point. Um, but it was definitely something that I enjoyed the experience of. Um, and, you know, it, for any kid, having options is always, you know, um, a great experience. And especially when you can, um, you know, choose between some of the highest level college basketball programs. So, so what was it that uh, turned the corner and uh, made you, you know, not think about the West Coast where maybe your focus had been uh, in think about Kansas? Um, well, you know, Kansas came uh, and they gave me a call after. I remember the game, too. It was against Perry Ellis and, uh, and high school. We were down in Vegas. And uh, I remember that my AU team did not sleep the night before. We were up all <laughs> night in the hotel room. We were playing uh, uh, video games or something. And um, I, the next morning, we... Uh, well, I guess we realized that it was time to get up and go play this game. <laughs> and we were on the main court against Perry and, and his team. Um, I think that uh, Buddy Heald was actually on that team, too. And um, I remember we, we had some 24-hour uh, energy drinks uh, or four-hour energy drinks, whatever they are, um, and went out there and played. And um, I played actually really well through the first half. Uh, and then the second half kind of tailed off and uh, ended up losing a, a close one. But um, uh, I played uh, pretty well. And um, I think that Coach Townsend and uh, maybe I think Coach Townsend and Coach Self were at the game for Perry. Um, and then, you know, saw me play and, and uh, decided to reach out. Um, when they reached out, it was there's a, a kid that some Kansas fans probably remember, Caleb Tarzuski from Arizona, who they had uh, planning on coming to Kansas. So they were uh, kind of letting me know, hey, uh, this is who's coming, uh, and we may have an extra spot for you, but we're not sure. So I didn't really think much of it. Um, and then Caleb ended up going to Arizona, um, and they uh, – you know, pushed a little bit harder to get me out there on a visit. Uh, and then I took the visit with my parents. And um, for me personally, it was such a um, cool thing almost to, to hear a coach say, uh, really speak 
honest with you and say, listen, we're going to recruit over you. You're probably not going to play much and it's going to be hell for you. Um, and for me, like, it was weird hearing that. Um, it was such a different tone and voice that I had been hearing from all the other ones. I remember I had a call with, I had one call with uh, Calipari, and I don't even know if he knew much about me because he was talking about, uh, you know, oh, one and dones and this and that. And I was thinking <laughs> in my head, like, he must have just, uh, you know, this must be his normal speech or whatever. Um, and, you know, that just wasn't, even though it was a, another big name school and all that stuff, there was, it was really hard for me to take some of those serious. And, and when coach self was, you know, as honest as he was, uh, and that definitely uh, sealed the deal. And uh, I, I wanted to take on that challenge. And that is an interesting challenge and, and, and honesty and almost a, Hey, uh, prove it, uh, you know, prove that, uh, that you're you're not particularly right, and I'm going to play, uh, which you eventually did. But you get to Kansas, and you and you redshirted your first year. What went into that decision, and how, how difficult? You know that that doesn't sound like as big a deal, maybe uh, uh, now, or you know, or maybe people you know use the transfer portal, all these other things. But uh, what went into that? Well, it's actually a, a funny story. The first exhibition game, and all through summer, I was feeling pretty good. Um, I. Uh, you know, was coming off of high school where obviously, you know, you, you dominate high school. So I was pretty confident right. about things and, and practice was going pretty well. And then the first exhibition came um, and we, you know, we're in a blowout win. And I remember, um, you know, I got some pretty solid minutes, um, finished with like uh, something like eight and seven or whatever it was. And I remember I got to do the post game little interview. And as a freshman, like this all is so cool. I, I was calling my dad, like, you know, first time in the field house, I have a great game. I'm feeling good. Like, I may be able to get some good rotation minutes behind uh, Jeff, you know, withy. You know, like, this is this is perfect. I'm so excited. And then I remember the next uh, exhibition game, I didn't play one minute. <laughs> and uh, I called him again. I was like, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, about this year and what's going to happen. And, and then when I talked with Coach Self um, about it, uh, he kind of twisted it in a way that uh, got me. And he was saying, he was like, listen, if I didn't think that you could play here, uh, you wouldn't be redshirting because I'd be trying to get a, a scholarship right. free as, <laughs> right. as, as fast as possible. And so, you know, look at this as, a, you know, some confidence in what we're seeing. And we want you to, to be here and playing here. Um, and so when I, you know, had that conversation with him, um, I felt pretty good actually about the decision. And then through the practices, um, I just turned every practice into my own game that year and made it as fun as possible. And I think I actually ended up gaining a ton of just sitting back and watching, uh, what the other bigs were doing and what, watching what coach was asking of the other bigs and watching, you know, the, the positive things, but also the negative things, um, so that I could ultimately kind of shape that into my own game and uh it really helped me moving forward you he you use the word hell it's going to be hell for you here uh you know a lot of people obviously see the the, the charm and the cool of bill self but everybody knows he's also tough uh, get into that mm -hmm. a little bit yeah i mean he uh he's tough but it all comes from him wanting to to win and hating to lose and that's the thing that i love about you know him as a coach is because that's really what it would fall back on a lot. And that's what you want. You don't want it to be because, you know, some guy's playing because he feels like it's owed to him or whatever it may be. Um, he wants to win. And, um, you know, it, it's going to be tough. And I saw a lot of players, um, you know, struggle with it and not respond uh, well to it. But really, um, if you're um, looking to take on the challenge and comfortable with that, uh, you know, he's a fun coach to play for. And so uh, it, it was hell. And the other part about Kansas that's hell is the fact that he has options. You know, Coach right. Self is not a coach that um, is, you know, he, he can lose you and it's not going to affect him or the program that much. There's very few players that, uh, you know, cannot be replaced. And so um, I think that that knowledge just makes it so much more uh, kind of intimidating in a way for a, a freshman or a young kid coming into that program. 
Um, and it could be hard, but um, if you're up for the challenge, uh, it's definitely worth it. More of Danny's Reasonably Irreverent podcast after this. It's time to tell you about a great opportunity to improve your retirement outlook by using the outstanding services of 401k USA. What the experts at 401k USA bring to you is an overlay of your current 401k plan that manages it in a far more proactive and responsive way. Too many retirement plans can be restrictive, but 401k USA brings far more flexibility to your plan to capitalize on opportunities and avoid downturns. It's simple and easy to find out much more about all the details on taking a close look at what the friendly experts at 401k USA can do for you. You can create more retirement wealth and a richer lifestyle by visiting 401kusa.org today or by texting to 816-844-6236. That's 401kusa.org or text to 816-844-6236 to find out much more. Joe Spiker, owner of Easton Roofing here. Well, it stormed. The last thing you want to mess with is dealing with it, but now you're stuck with dozens of people knocking on your door telling you everything they think you want to hear. Do not trust your biggest asset to a company that lies dormant until it storms, only to change their name and wither away after their substandard work is complete. Call Easton Roofing for a free roof evaluation. 913-257-5426. 913-257-5426. Easton Roofing. Integrity matters. Time to spend a few minutes with my good friend Jeff Dillon from Dillon's Heating and Cooling. And Jeff, what differentiates your company from others in the industry? Plain and simple, we're honest. We have integrity and we're going to do things right the first time. There's way too many companies out there that lie, cheat, hide things from the homeowner or customer. And we're not about that. It's kind of funny sometimes. I actually am so honest with some people. It kind of surprises them. But sometimes it's good for business. Sometimes it's bad for business. But ultimately, it's the kind of business that I want to run is an honest one. And that family way of treating things is part of your slogan. And it's also part of one of your great features that you offer to customers. Our slogan is like family. Our most popular maintenance plan is called the family plan. It's very similar to a lot of ones out there. And a little tweak that we do to ours, 1% off for every two years, they have a continued maintenance plan with us. If they have a maintenance plan for 10 years and we give them 5% off, no questions asked. You can find out more about Dylan's Heating and Cooling and all their great range of services at Dylan'sHeatingandCooling.com. That's Dylan's with an S. The phone number, 913-214-1343. It's time for another timely chat with Dr. Brad Woodle from Advanced Sports and Family Chiropractic and Acupuncture, many locations around Kansas City. We're headed to the fall. It's time for the youngsters to get active, but the parents are always active too. That's right, Danny. It is fall sports time. So no matter what sport is yours, we know that you want to play it at your best. And our job is to make sure you are feeling great, functioning great, but also performing optimally now and keeping you in the game. And you do that in a variety of ways here. We check out biomechanics, make sure everything is moving through chiropractic and our physiotherapies, and we also do some school physicals. Absolutely, and of course you have chiropractic, you have acupuncture, you have a full range of services. As the name of our company is Advanced Sports and Family Chiropractic and Acupuncture, we can take care of about anything that deals with any of those items. Advanced Sports and Family Chiropractic and Acupuncture. Learn more at asfca.com slash Danny. If you'd like to join these and other great sponsors and market your business to a growing and engaged audience, contact us at danny at dannyclinkscale.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Our guest is Landon Lucas, and of course he had a fine career at Kansas, and we're about to delineate that right uh, now and uh, get into some of the things that uh, uh, we've already heard that make him uh, more than just your, your ordinary basketball interview. But your your career really took just perfect little steps forward you you played a little bit more each year you scored a little bit more each year you rebounded a little bit more each year that progression is a real testimony to your dedication I would say yeah um you know I think that I got more comfortable with my role um it got more refined and each year I would fight it um and and it's actually pretty funny because you can almost see it in how the year progresses I would fight it to start and then as the year went around, um, I would settle more into it, accept it, and uh, usually finish the season strong. I, I, you know, I, I feel 
pretty happy about, you know, my sophomore year, the way that I was able to uh, come in and start through uh, March and into, you know, March Madness and, you know, sophomore year on, um, you know, have some success in the, in the, the postseason. And, and so, you know, for me, every year was just kind of a, uh, a learning experience. Uh, and it was something where I had to um, find my role each time, but I, I tried to do it better every time. Um, and every year, and um, the the progression was definitely there. The trust was there from Coach Self, um, and then you know by you know the end of my junior year, and then you know uh, senior year and stuff, there was uh, a lot of confidence both ways, and uh, that was that was helpful for me. And also, your teammates uh, end of your junior year into your senior year, they went to bat for you. They were the ones who yeah. said, you know, this he is an important part of what we do he can make us better even if you don't necessarily always see it in the stat line yeah and that was uh you know that was my junior year where that conversation happened and you know uh you want to talk about some confidence uh being instilled in you you know having your teammates and the other starters uh, you know at that time the starters were very clear outside of one position that was the center position to have those other starters you know uh kind of go to bat for you and say hey this is who we want to play with um, you know, I, I think for me, it, it really uh, made me feel like I was doing the right things and just keep keep doing what I'm doing. Um, there's a lot of things that just weren't showing up, you know, in the stack sheets, weren't showing up to fans. But I felt very confident that, OK, my teammates realize this. My coach realized this. Those small little, you know, off the ball screens, the right. position that I'm in, all those small things um, were being noticed and by my peers and teammates. And so, like, that was um, you know, it's instilled so much confidence going into that second half of my junior year um, that it really allowed me to, okay, this is what I need to be doing. Just keep focusing on that. And uh, yeah, that was definitely a turning point uh, in, my, in my career there, having, having those four starters, uh, you know, speak on my behalf and say they want to play with me. The nuances you talked about aren't necessarily always always noticed by fans, to say the least. And Kansas fans, yeah. you know, expect stars out out there, and uh, you know, oftentimes a player like yourself isn't necessarily embraced as much as they uh, should mm-hmm. be. What what would you? How would you describe your relationship with the, the fans and how they reacted to you? Well, I mean, it was something that um, I almost was kind of prepared for because um, you know that was always it was the perfect match uh, because I, I was used to that in a way I, you know, even through high school and like I had mentioned briefly, you know, when playing on that AAU team, I was surrounded by these stars as a kid mm-hmm. that was four years younger than them. And I had to play a role, you know, and then I go to Finley prep, which was the number one team in the country. You know, you got the future number one pick a bunch of NBA guys, all this stuff on a high school team. And I was playing the same role. The way I played, uh, you know, ended up getting all of my minutes and starting for that team was by rebounding, setting screens, doing the simple things. And so all of a sudden, you know, here I am at Kansas and I'm falling back into the same role. And so, you know, for me, um, I was comfortable in it. And I knew that I I knew that it didn't look good uh, as far as, you know, the flashiness and the fans loving it and being loved by them and whatnot. And so, I, I was kind of comfortable in it. Now, you know, would I have liked to, you know, have some of those things be recognized early on and seen by fans or whatnot? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, as a kid, that always uh, is in the back of your head. But if there was anybody that was prepared for it, uh, I would say it was me just because of the situations I had been in over and over again. And then, you know, all of a sudden I found myself in the same situation and my dad is just in, in my ear, like, listen, this, you know, don't worry about that stuff. Just do your job. It will be noticed not only by your your coaches, but by your teammates. Um, it'll be noticed by, you know, any next level uh, scouts. Like if I was in high school, the scouts in college and college, the scouts from the NBA, like, you know, those things get noticed by people who understand basketball. So right. just keep doing those and you'll play. Um, and, and that was just the mindset I, I took even uh, – you know, when there was times it felt like I wasn't, you know, getting the same response that I would have wanted from the fans. 
And the team obviously had great success. And of course, you won the champion, the Big 12 championship every year. Uh, but yeah. how they, your junior and senior year, the seasons ended uh, with uh, defeats in the Elite Eight on the cusp of the Final Four. How mm-hmm. frustrating and disappointing was that for you? Uh, very, especially when you look back at those teams. And, and um, you know, the, the Villanova one was tough because – um, you know, I remember that night and it was just like one of those nights where it just wasn't quite there. You know, uh, I forgot who it was, but, you know, we I, I think Devante and some other people who had been doing so well, you know, shooting. It was just like a little bit of an off night. And then we were still hanging tough things, you know, towards the end that didn't go our way. And that's just how the tournament works. And it's such a frustrating thing for, you know, for a, a, a 12 seed or something it's fun just to make it and see how far you can go you know when you're the best team in the country which you know i truly believe i think we were number one overall we were at right. least one of the years but you know when you're one of the best teams in the country uh it's like you know trying to make it through a minefield trying to get to the championship and just not having one of those nights and running into a team that you know they look pretty damn good moving forward after that and <laughs> we should you know if we just play a, a, a b plus game um we win it and and so that's frustrating uh and then the the next year right come back this time you know the whole narrative was okay now we're in kansas city and we and we have just as good of a team if not better we're in kansas city this time um and we have the experience we're not losing this um and and if you you know remember those games in the leading up to it i think we were setting records for how right. you know well we were beating people and and um and then of course out of you know the just the way the story goes the the team is oregon right <laughs> you know right. The, 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 my dad's old school he's doing the the rate the radio and talk show for for the ducks at this time so he's out there you know doing that stuff um I was absolutely hated in Oregon because I left for Finley prep and then didn't go to the university of Oregon. So like the amount of messages and everything that week. So like, this was just all building up to this one game where like, I'm thinking, all right, let's just get past this, move on to the final four and stuff. And then of course, uh, right, right. When you start doing that is when, uh, just the, the worst case scenario happens, which is just an awful game. You know, not only for us as a team, but for me personally, and then to go out on a loss like that was just like it felt like the worst, you know. And so um, having back-to-back Elite Eights is something that a lot of people are, uh, you know, excited about right. most times. But for me, it's like, you know, it's it's really tough to know those two teams uh, did not make a Final Four. And, I, you know, I can't say that. You know, I'm a, a national champion, uh, champion or a Final Four. Uh, you know, I was on one of those teams, so that that, that was a, a bummer and a little bit of a disappointment. But still, it was a fantastic career. In your last year, you you played great and averaged almost nine rebounds a game. And 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 you talked about your dad saying that these things would be noticed. What was your thought as far as moving forward when your college career ended? Um, you know, my thought was just uh, continue to do the things that have gotten me to the top of each level. You know, I was fortunate enough to, uh, in high school, play top AU, play top, you know, with uh, Finley, and not only, you know, play on those teams, but eventually my play style got me significant minutes on those teams. And then, you know, I go to Kansas, I take on that challenge. I'm like, okay, keep doing it. Eventually, I get significant minutes and I'm part of that team. And for me, it was just, okay, let's get to this next level. And there's there's enough things. When I'm on the court, I feel confident that I can do enough things to impact the game and make my teammates better that somebody will find some value in that. Um, and so I was feeling pretty confident. You know, obviously, I would have loved to finish off the, my college career on a little bit more of a high note uh, going into the pre-draft stuff, but... Uh, I, I was feeling pretty good, and uh, my goal was to, you know, do the exact same thing I've been doing, find some some team, you know, maybe the fans aren't extremely happy that, <laughs> you know, I'm getting an opportunity, but then over time I can, you know, prove myself and, and, and whatnot, and um, that was the route uh, that I had in my head and, and really uh, what I was looking to duplicate again uh, just at the next level. 
But you've had all kinds of injury problems, and you've played in, uh, all or, uh, around the world, basically. Uh, but you have been waylaid a lot by injuries, and you, you, you were a player who was that, – that hadn't happened to you. That must be in, incredibly frustrating. It, it was extremely frustrating, but I think it was a combination of a few things. One, uh, I, I did get hurt quite a bit at Kansas, and I was dealing with a lot, but – Kansas, you just uh, played, you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and Kansas trainers and stuff are like uh, second to none. And so when you're working with them and you're working with the best, I mean, they would bring people in from all over to, to work with you. And so that helps, you know, one. And then the other thing I think that was the biggest driving factor in all these injuries was the fact that um, mentally, when I made the decision to not play um, uh, after the, the Celtics summer league and stuff. I had some opportunities to take some two ways. I had some opportunities to take some non-guaranteed stuff um, in the, in the NBA and pursue that more. And when I took the money and went over to Japan, um, I think my mind had just really checked out and I, I didn't want to play anymore. And, and my body was uh, one thing I've learned is, you know, if you're mentally not into something, you know, your body's going to give you a way out. And I think that my body just continued to give me ways out. Um, and, you know, it was frustrating because, like, I, yeah, I still want to be healthy and playing. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of that kind of just falls back onto myself and my mindset. And I wasn't I wasn't into it, you know, after um, playing at that highest level was was out of the picture. So uh, what's what's the transition like when you've decided that you're not into it anymore and you have a you're a person with tremendous uh, amount of interest and we'll get into another one of those here in a minute. But uh, uh, what's the transition away from, you know, basketball as a central portion of your life? Um, I think the transition be, uh, began the second year that I was uh, out of um, college and playing professionally. I was in Russia. I got hurt. I ended the season halfway and uh, I was rehabbing to get ready for the next season. But at that time, you know, I put a little bit more focus into other things, um, you know, and I, at the time I was, you know, uh, it, it's the foundation. I was uh, working on some business opportunities, doing a whole bunch of stuff to just explore um, some other stuff. And at that point, I started realizing more and more like, hey, I'm I, I get excited about these other things and not feeling that same way necessarily about basketball and it started making a little bit uh, I started making a transition away from basketball and you know I, I gave it some more you know tries and did summer league again and whatnot um, but ultimately um, I knew mentally that um, I wanted some new challenges and um, and I was excited to try some other stuff out. Well, you mentioned a foundation, and usually somebody, you know, starts a foundation when they have, you know, gobs of money and stuff like that. And you, you did it, and you know, because you really have an interest in doing something really positive for people. How did that come about? Well, you know, it was something that I was thinking the same thing uh, that most people do, which is, hey, let me just wait until I have a bunch of money, and I'm, <laughs> right. you know, I'm, I have a bunch of free time and everything, and then. Um, uh, I remember my senior year, I think I mentioned something in an interview uh, after the after the season. And uh, uh, next thing you know, a GoFundMe page had uh, like 30000 or something crazy on it. I was like, okay, well, uh, I should probably get this started now. And, and really, it was um, kind of thrown together. And what we did was just every everything that we were getting in, we were just giving back out in scholarships and to be able to impact those kids and stuff were, um, ha has been awesome. Um, you know, it still is a foundation that really uh, is, you know, just trying to s scrape by and stuff. And uh, But I'm happy that, you know, even though it wasn't necessarily what I had uh, in mind as far as timing-wise, I'm happy that, you know, we're just making it work and, and got started with it because, uh, it's better than continuing to, oh, I'll do it, you know, later, and then, you know, never get around to it. Just tell people about the name of it and how they can get involved in helping out. Yeah, it's the Landon Lucas Foundation. Uh, Sports for Life scholarships is what we give out. We uh, provide scholarships for uh, underprivileged, underprivileged youth um, that can't afford uh, to play sports. And we, you know, really 
um, teach them the life lessons that you learn um, from the ups and the downs. And I gained so much from it uh, as a kid growing up. And um, and I know what it's like to not be able to afford, you know, the equipment and all the different fees. And so we just want to provide that. Um, and you could go to landonlucasfoundation.org and get some more information. Um, you know, with COVID and stuff, it made things a little complicated yep. over the, the last year. We tried to do some virtual stuff, but, you know, now we're going to get back to it and, and really find a way to uh, get back out in the community and, and help the kids of uh, Lawrence specifically. And how have you decided where and uh, how you're going to move forward as far as your life is concerned and, and locate yourself yeah. and things like that? Well, uh, you know, I, I, I got into poker, which... Uh, yes, is, I was about a, to get to that. Yeah, yeah. So I, so that's kind of uh, been my, my focus. Um, and so I uh, right now I'm in uh, Arizona where uh, my girlfriend and my son are. Right. Um, and um, I have been... Uh, playing some poker. I just finished uh, the the World Series up mm -hmm. in uh, in Vegas, and uh, I, that's where most of my time and travel has has been uh, going recently. How did you get into that, and how did you decide that you know there was an aptitude there? Obviously, yeah. you know people are you know most everyone has played poker at some point in time, yeah. but uh, how do you decide that? Hey, you know, because at one point in time I was reading an article that said, you know, I draw the line at people who uh, in playing against people who actually do it for a living. Now you're sort of moving in the direction of doing it for a living. How did you how did you <laughs> no, now I take on all challenges? Yeah. Sure. How, now, uh, it, um, how did you, you know, cross that line, man? Yeah, well, it all it all originally started just when I was younger watching poker on on ESPN, obviously through the moneymaker boom of poker and stuff in the early 2000s. I was a young kid at the time, but um, I was watching Phil Ivey and, you know, having another, you know, black poker player who is wearing basketball jerseys and stuff right. on ESPN. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like, let me learn. So I was watching and um, <clears throat> I, I actually sat down and got some little fake chips and tried to teach my dad and, and uh, stepmom how to play and they learned with me. Um, and, um, I had played through, uh, college at, at Hollywood casino, some, uh, in the off season, uh, and it was always just for fun. Um, but I enjoyed it and, um, and I really enjoyed the aspect of it, of just putting the pieces of the puzzle together and, and the way that it, it challenged my mind was always fun. Um, and I figured I was also pretty good at reading people. And so, uh, I got into it as more of a hobby for many years um and then uh just as a coincidence i guess of all this stuff happening with my basketball uh passion kind of fading away um uh, and then meeting uh kelly who is my mm -hmm. you know girlfriend she is a professional um and she you know a few years back was a uh, player of the year woman player of the year and you know she's has a lot of skill in the in the game and she was traveling to play and i um decided hey it would be kind of fun to um you know to do this and for me the same way that i wanted to play basketball at the high level to motivate me um you know i wanted to do the same thing with poker and so um i went from hey i you know i, I just want to do it for fun to i want to sit down you know at the table with with the best and 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 uh you know and compete and um I started doing some studying, uh, you know, I, I practiced some tournament poker play, which I hadn't really played many tournaments before. And, uh, so far I've had quite a bit of success. <laughs> I, so far I've been able to, uh, get about a quarter million in earnings, um, through the first year and a half or two years of playing and, um, and had a lot of deep runs, haven't really been able to finish the job, but, uh, there's a lot of deep runs in these tournaments, and it's been a, a a fun experience that keeps me, you know, always wanting to learn more. And now um, I, I'm confident to sit down at a poker table with anybody and and feel, you know, confident in myself. So uh, if if I ask Kelly who was better, what would she say? You know, right now she would say <laughs> me, actually. Uh, <laughs> but but uh, you know, she poker is such a 
a combination of skill and a little bit of luck. And recently right. uh, she's been on the bad end of that uh, <laughs> and, and I've been on the good end. And so, um, so I, I think she would, she would lean my way at least for right now, but overall, I mean, obviously she's had a, a much better, uh, uh, you know, career and whatnot, but I would, I would hope to catch her one, one day and, and, uh, and have that be a permanent yes that I, I uh, am, am out playing her. So we'll see. We have played heads up a couple times, and she, and she uh, tore me up. So it wasn't even close when we've done that. <laughs> okay. That's, that sounds like a good plan uh, initially. We'll see in the long term if it is or not. And now you have a son, yeah. you have a son right? That must be a life changer. It, it is. I have a 10-month-old son, Isaiah, and uh, it's been, I mean, completely – life change and one that I, you know, I, I couldn't be happier about. And, and I think that the timing of all of it with now being able to, you know, spend time with him and, and, um, you know, be around him and stuff has been so cool. And, um, and yeah, we'll see, you know, what, what he gets into when he grows up, but, uh, I'm just happy to, to, you know, see him grow and, and support him and whatever, you know, he decides to do ultimately. You seem to have a very curious nature, and when I was around you interviewing you or talking to you at Kansas, you always seemed to be somebody who was a, a person who was wise beyond their years. I don't know if you consider yourself that way, but Thank you. you've not... You, you've certainly packed a whole lot into only 28 years on this uh, <laughs> on this planet. What do you see going forward? You know, and, and that's what I love about it, is I just want to, you know, take these opportunities whenever something comes out, take advantage of it. Um, and, and who knows? That's the thing. I mean, the same way that poker kind of, you know, came out of left field and, and uh, you know, became a big part of my life. Who knows if something else does? Uh, you know, in the short term, I, I can see, uh, you know, me focusing on poker a little bit more and just seeing where that takes me. Um, but who knows what, what is, you know, in the future for me. And that's what I love about it is because, um, you know, if something comes up, I, I, I may take that opportunity and I have the freedom to do so. Um, and so right now, you know, we'll just continue to play poker. I, I got into podcasting a little bit recently and, uh, doing some, some, uh, some other things as well. And, and just kind of seeing where everything takes me. This podcast was made possible by our great sponsors like Easton Roofing, the presenting sponsor of Kansas City Profiles at the Danny Kling Scale Reasonably Irreverent Podcast. Easton Roofing, where integrity matters. We hope you enjoyed the latest Danny Kling Scale Reasonably Irreverent Podcast. Come back soon for something fresh and new. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.